And we're back for another episode of Start Apostle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Start a Puzzle. Matt DeCourcy here with Patrick Price, who'll be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Patrick, what's up? It's an honor. Doing well. Oh, wow. You, you are, uh, it's an honor to be here with you, Patrick. And I'm going to go ahead and introduce you. Uh, you are the founder and president of askabookeditor.com and also the editor of all three books that I have published. You're a friend, a colleague, and someone I call occasionally for good advice. So does it, does that all, does all of that sound accurate? It sounds incredibly accurate. And, uh, and I feel the same. So uh, I've had the pleasure of working with you over, man, a long time, gotten to know you. We've gone to Vegas together and, uh, and hung out with, as family and different stuff. Now, one of the things that I have called you out on in the past is that you sometimes don't want to sing your own praises, <laughs> which is something I specialize in. So um, a- as I went to... As I wanted to write what was at the time two books, I realized that I knew nothing about the process and I was not an editor. I knew that Abraham Lincoln had once said that he who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. And I couldn't get that out of my head when it came to book editing. So I started looking anywhere. And if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know, we are huge proponents of finding people that are the best at what they do. And I started looking and I found Patrick. So what got my attention with him? Well, he has been the editor for multiple books with Tori Spelling, who is a multiple best-selling author of the, what is it? The Mommy Wood or Storytelling? Storytelling or, was first, yeah. Number yeah. one, best New York Times bestseller. And then probably what got my attention the most was the editor of He's Just Not That Into You which was a what multi-million dollar movie and book franchise. You've worked with Tim Gunn. You were the author of Sippy Cups Are Not for Chardonnay, which I was is one of the, the great of, yeah. of, Well, it, involved <laughs> in and all of it, but done exactly. everything. Lance, Lance Bass, all kinds of people, but you specialized in what is known as narrative nonfiction. So at the time that I met you, you were just becoming an entrepreneur on your own. And- you're like, you're the guy now. So if you want to learn more about what Patrick does and check some stuff out while we're talking about this or later, just go to askabookeditor.com and you'll see all kinds of great stuff in there. So Patrick, welcome to Start a Puzzle. Thank you so much. Now, it was a great meeting. Um, I think the stuff that you learned, I also learned things. So it was like perfect meeting of the minds, the, the stuff that I, that you know, instinctively, um, I got to absorb and stuff that I thought, you know, was just instinctive. I could then teach you. So it's, a, it's been a good, uh, it's been a good friendship, but also a good, uh, a good working relationship as well. 
Yeah, and we'll get and we'll get into some of that. For those of you that listen regularly, you know that I have quoted Patrick a lot. Uh, Patrick taught me many things: how to not take my voice out of my own writing, how to understand you have to lead with a need, and also the importance of brevity. Yeah. So. Um, now, Patrick, you're in Brooklyn. That's where you reside. You have a history. Let's let's start with your backstory. So g- give us a little background about yourself as a book editor before we get into some of the stuff that, that people might be interested about or some of the things people might want to ask a book editor. Yeah, sure. Um, I've been in the publishing industry for about 25 years now, um, just a little, probably about 20 years at the at a two of the biggest uh, publishers in the world uh, at Random House and for many years at Simon & Schuster. Um, Worked in different sort of areas originally as a publicist, then I worked for a literary agent, and then really found my perfect sweet spot as an editor, um, which I also do some writing to, so it all kind of wove in together. Um, From that, uh, I've really worked on all sorts of genres, uh, but like you said, I think the area that I seem to be most drawn toward um, is what they call narrative nonfiction and also prescriptive nonfiction. And they kind of, I can explain those if you want, but, um, but yeah, it's basically written in sort of like a, almost a fiction ish looser style, uh, but prescriptive, you're learning something in narrative. You can still be learning something, but it also can kind of uh, be a little bit more memoir and stuff like that. Um, but then really after after that, I decided to go out on my own, get to pick my own projects, get to work with, I've always worked with a lot of first-time authors, um, whether they go on to write New York Times bestsellers or they just really go on to create what they've always wanted to do. And uh, so really about two years, two years, two and a half years ago or so, I kind of uh, actually sort of more branded myself as the Ask a Book Editor and uh, to make it both for clients, but also kind of a really good sort of resource spot. Um, so I can kind of share various knowledge and stuff that uh, would be of interest to people as they consider doing a book or discover, you know, the various challenges and pitfalls along the way. And there are quite a few pitfalls along the way. There's a lot to understand. Now, I don't know if everyone knows this, but Amazon sells five out of six books right now. Yeah. 83%. And that's both digital or paperback. Another interesting thing that many don't realize is so many of the books that you buy on Amazon, they print one at a time as you order them, which is crazy because they get them to you two days later. So uh, we learned some of this stuff. Uh, some of it was was knowledge that was already there. And we were fascinated with some of it as we tried to create a process knowing that we would write several books. So um, let's talk a little bit about independent publishing versus traditional publishing. So you have Random House and Simon & Schuster are like the New York Yankees and New England Patriots of publishing. Correct. Those are those are the big kids, right? So you're so you go from that to here you are being your own independent entity. What Mm -hmm. what What's your take on the indie publishing versus traditional publishing? Just reg- just pros and cons. I mean, the pro is that indie publishing now is definitely a very viable option. And it really wasn't 10 years ago. I mean, it's increasingly more and more and more. Because um, the pro of a traditional publishing would be, A, you have 
a full team um, that's behind you. So if you're doing indie publishing, it's either you or you then have to kind of find your team to create the work. Um, you also will have hopefully an advance. <laughs> so there's there's the difference between, you know, it's a contract and so you'll get, it's it, they're investing in you as opposed to you're sort of investing into your own future. Um, and then really the main thing used to be, everybody's like, well, I want to do traditional publishing because I want to be in a bookstore. Um, so sadly, <laughs> there's not as many <laughs> bookstores now and your book might make it into the some of the bookstores, but it'll be like maybe one copy somewhere. You know, it's like, you know, even pretty big books, the general orders are lower. And when you also traditionally publish, if you're thus lucky to get a contract, get your book in the bookstore, have support behind it, then you really have a pretty small window of when they're able to kind of focus on it marketing wise and to have any, you know, there's a limited amount of table or shelf space. So if your book basically doesn't fly out of the gate, and even if it does, they're kind of like, yay, but it doesn't mean there'll be like millions right after it. Um, your window is small. Whereas with indie, especially if it is ebook and print on demand, I mean, it's kind of evergreen. Um, it's, it's always there. It doesn't, you know, and, um, and it's, it's not like in the old days where if you did do an indie publishing, you might have to like buy thousands of copies of your book and somehow hide them in your closet or in the back of your car trunk or something. And now there's the beauty of, you know, you don't, you're not paying for all these extra books until they're needed. And, um, but it's, it's, it's really leveled the playing field a lot. Um, and, yeah, and, the, thing, and, and, like, and well, so many of the top selling books that come out are indie publishers now, like you see a good portion of them. And, and let's talk about the financial side of it. Because mm -hmm. when you own the copy, meaning like it's not owned by a publisher, right? If you can get some traction behind that, you're going to keep the lion's share of the revenue. Now, Amazon takes, uh, they take royalty and they charge you to print the books mm -hmm. or do some form of it. But there's a significant upside if, and I key the word if, you can promote and get some traction behind your own copy. Yes. That, um, definitely the finance things. I mean, if your book takes off, you're in a much more advantageous position um, as far as royalties and, and the amount of time. You're not on a royalty payment schedule, which your book could do very well traditionally. And I'm 100% not anti-traditional. I mean, it's, it's, you know, where I'm from and it's amazing. But the one thing is like your book depends on what kind of what your time frame is. Like your, if you sell your book, it really, unless it's an absolute crash, which is kind of unheard of unless, you know, you, you found the, I don't know, the COVID um, <laughs> the solution and the antidote and you're going to publish that and then I'll put it out tomorrow. But beyond that, really any book will take at least a year or sometimes 18 months or so to, to come out. And even if your book does so well, I mean, there is a royalty schedule, so you may not see, you know, money until years later and it has to earn back forever. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Because right. I mean, the publishing industry essentially survives. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, our publishing is a little bit of a gamble and the publishing industry survives on the massive success of a very small number of titles that keep the lights on and make up for everything else. You know? 
some of the books that are in the categories that I published in, some of those top 50 mm -hmm. are still there from three years ago. Yeah. Which it, is really kind of proving that point. And you know, there are so many books. I, I can't remember. I should have looked this up and, I, and I'm guilty of, of not doing this. But what did we come? What did we learn that there was over a million new books come out every year? Right. And think about that piled on to the history of literature. And that's your competition. And it's easy to get lost. And, you know, there's so many books don't ever sell a copy or they don't sell copies to people that are readers or family. Um, Correct. That was, and, and, some, and some sell tons. So there's a, an interesting equilibrium there. Now, there, there's the equilibrium, that, but there's also, sorry, the, um, also with traditional publishers, when they acquire, when they decide that they're interested in acquiring a book, they run their, you know, their profit and loss sheet. And it's a little bit of voodoo. And, uh, you know, they have, you, they look and see what the comparative titles are, how well it's done, how well they think that this kind of can compare to that. And they come up with a projection. And then usually they hit like 20% of that. But, you know, but they, they you know, they, they try that. <laughs> Sounds but, like startups. Exactly. It's true. Um, but Oftentimes, one of the other differences between indie and traditional is that at traditional publishing, the anticipated bar is so much higher of what they think they have to sell in order to, I mean, they're not really in the business of, I mean, it depends on how big the publisher is, but you know, they're not going to give like teeny tiny advance for a book they think will do kind of good, but not that great. Um, but so they're always kind of, you know, hoping to hit much higher. So the bar is higher. Whereas with with indie publishing, sometimes people have really great ideas or have something that maybe is very targeted and there's clearly an audience to it. And it's really like perhaps you as the expert or the specialist know that type of marketing and know how to reach those particular people. And, you know, sometimes it does, you know, come around. I mean, the books like, um, I don't know, like Twilight, a million, I mean, it's fiction, but uh, Twilight and the, the Fifty Shades of Grey and all that stuff. I mean, that was the reverse where people did their indie publishing and then so many people called on that the traditional was like, oh, okay, there's actually a market for this. Um, and they published it, but it evens the playing field in many, many ways. It's, it, I think a lot of authors are writing books to create a platform and establish themselves as thought leaders. I, I was in that category. Um, I acknowledged right away. I said, I don't think I'm probably going to profit from this, from sales of the book. But that said, I had, I had a story that I wanted to tell. I had two different stories I wanted to tell. They were mm -hmm. very different. One was a little more self-help oriented. The other was a story of myself as an entrepreneur, which I might have to write a follow-up to because two and a half years later, that's like, we kind of le left million dollar bedroom, a little unresolved, like, right. well, see what happens. And <laughs> wow. I mean, those same people turned into a completely different company and 200 employees in less than two years and you never know where it happens. But I, I think that, and I've had so many people ask me like, do you make a lot of money off selling your books? And I'm like, fuck no, <laughs> I do not. I've given away more than I've sold and we've sold a fair amount. I don't want to downplay the work and what we created, but I mean, that's something we've given away a lot. We give away copies of million dollar bedroom when full scale does events and send them to clients. And there are different and types of value. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, right. the, and, the value, like you said, with your your platform, your expertise. Would you write a book that is like 
a legit book. I mean, it is, uh, I mean, legit, I don't mean traditional. I mean, it, that it's not like, you know, you, you sat there and you Xerox something. Um, then you really do, it elevates you and you become, people say like, well, I'm not an expert. I'm like, well, you are now. And in most people's eyes, when you've written a book and it looks, I mean, it, you know, it's well-written, it's edited, it has a nice cover on it, and you truly have something to say, then guess what? You are, you're, a, you're an author and you're an expert. And for, for most public perception, I mean, that's a huge thing to get. And, uh, and it really does kind of elevate you in, in whatever field that you're in or whatever your particular expertise is. Right. You taught me and I learned working with you, writing a book's a lot harder than I thought it would have been. Like there are so many more steps and different types of editors and things and just so much to consider. I look back and one of the things was when we were getting ready to publish Balance Me and uh, I had a potential cover and I showed it to you and you're like, I hate it. And I was like, why? You're like, well, first off, shrink it down to the size of a thumbnail and tell me you can even tell what the title is. And I did that. And I knew I, I knew I was immediately wrong. I was like, wow. OK, so, and that was great advice. It, it's, I've actually passed that advice on to other people, because as an author, people have asked me for input on their cover or whatever. I'm like, shrink it down to a thumbnail. Uh, another thing, it had a hand on it. And you, were, oh, right. you told me you're, in the industry, we never put a hand on a cover. And I was like, hey, that's enough. I, you got me a thumbnail, man. Don't rub it in. Uh, <laughs> it, it's true because you think about it. I mean, you've seen a bunch of books, but we've seen so many books, you know, whether it's oh, books sure. that are yeah. published by others, by ourselves, all the things that have come our way from agents that we're like, for whatever reason, no. Or, you know, we know what's worked, what hasn't worked. I mean, it's a very opinionated um field but it comes from a place of pretty much just like sharing i mean the an author is of course like this is their baby and they've spent so much time on it and it's some you you have to find obviously an editor and other people that you trust and you know you still have the final say but i would say it's always important at least to listen because no one's like giving you advice that they're just trying to like screw you over they're really trying to be like in my opinion you know my my kind of quote unquote expert opinion. Um, here's how I think you might be sabotaging yourself, or here's a way that we could really boost your book. I mean, I kind of that was, was, that was you know, one of the things I said to you right away. I, the rule of yes. Oh if yeah. You think I'm going to say yes ninety percent of the time? Just do it because oh, I'll deal with the ten percent of the time right. that you're wrong. But but I could tell I could tell that some past experience with with more finicky authors had had probably been present uh and you know much like musicians or anyone else there's a lot of pride in in work sometimes people don't take feedback it was Mm -hmm. was, like i mentioned with the thumbnail instance right i that made i did that i shrunk that thing down to a thumbnail i knew immediately i was like wow i just wasted money having someone design this and we found some people that had had a little more relevant experience with that. And you mentioned the, the whole, like, does the book look real? Does it feel real? That was important to us during the process. Uh, we wanted it to be polished, mm-hmm. to not be garbage. That took time. Right. I, I think one of the things I, I underestimated and so much of that transforms throughout the process. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it, it, much like any other startup, 
writing a book follows a similar process. And, Definitely. and that begins with determining if an idea is marketable. How do you do, how, how do, you do that? Because we talked about that. That was th- over three years ago. So I don't remember every part of it. But we had talked about the category and the different stuff. We knew who we were going to compete with. That, mm-hmm. didn't ha- that didn't dissuade me from wanting to write either title. But mm-hmm. it, for someone listening, how do you know if your book is even marketable? Well, first, you have to ask yourself, like, who is the audience for this book? And I hope it's like past your, your mom or your spouse. You know, you have to like go, like go beyond that. And, you know, what is it, what is it uh, fulfilling that's, you know, what kind of, like you said, what's the need um, that, that a reader is going to get out of it? Like what, why, what, what's drawing them toward them that you're, you know, delivering something. And then you really have to look and see kind of what else is there. Um, make sure you're really having something unique to say. Obviously, if it's your story, your story is always going to have elements in it that are unique. Um, but that's, so that that's like gives you a decent clue. I mean, if sometimes if someone's never ever done anything even close to what you're doing, then there's a chance that you might be brilliant and onto something, which is rare, <laughs> which rare. is rare, or you might need to kind of, uh, yeah, skew it. Um, you know, we were, I remember one thing, I don't remember the exact specific thing, but sometimes with an author and with a, with a, and with an editor, um, you know, kind of like with thing with the cover and stuff too, is that not that the editor is like always right, but if the edit, if something, if something really sticks out to the editor for whatever reason, whether this title's wrong or this cover's wrong, or this is not said right, or we should start here or blah, blah, blah. Um, usually they're onto something. But sometimes it's up, it, it, when you point that out together and or just the author, like there may be an alternate solution, you know, but it, it is you do. You, it is kind of this give and take. And uh, and it's not always like do it this way. And that's that's the way because I said so. But it's more like this is why this isn't working and you understand why. And then oftentimes the new solution is the, the ideal solution that you kind of reach mutually or whatnot. Um, but yeah, marketing is the, that's the million dollar question. But, you know, it's like, if you tell other people about it, are they excited about it? You know, are you, are you excited to work? Because, you know, like you said, writing a book is, is, is hard. Um, it's definitely, has, doesn't have to be elitist or unachievable. But another way to know if something is marketable is, yeah, you have an idea, but now let's break it down. Um, and can you take this idea? Is this like an interesting thought for like a nice little essay you can write? Or is it a book? And if it's a book, you have to be able to like do, like imagine a table of contents or an out. I mean, everybody has different methods of how they break down their book. But essentially, what is the outline of this book? Where is it going? How is it starting? And where is it going to ultimately lead to? And if you find that you really have nothing to say or nothing more than 20 pages to say, then it's not marketable, you know, because it's not a book. but that's that's sort of the it, the truth comes out sometimes there. But other times you have this idea and then you start breaking it down and you realize just how rich it is. And it's like, oh, I didn't think I could, you know, I could explore this sort of angle and this angle. And that's where it becomes even larger. I mean, I sometimes I think of being just, I just had this random idea the other day. I was like, I kind of think of being an editor as kind of like an archaeologist at times. And it's like you're finding this this story or this book within this mass of pages 
and sometimes you got to bring out like the shovels and you're just, and the heavy equipment and you're just like we're going to find something and other times you have to bring out the little teeny brush and you're like you know like we're just fine-tuning it here and other times it's like you know what we're not finding anything here but i think actually the uh the site is over here you know and that's you know so it's that's, i don't know that metaphor totally works, well we but... went through some of that with, we went through a lot of that with million dollar bedroom and that book came out of me pretty quickly because it was just it's it's easy to write about something you've experienced like mm -hmm. your story is your story and it came pouring out you definitely unleashed a the content demon from title one to title two and you know, I learned a lot of things. The main thing was, is if you're going to hire an editor and you don't spend your time as a writer looking in the rearview mirror, yeah. I actually sent you a first draft with an apology note. <laughs> um, at one point, it wasn't the first one, but, you know, that has a lot to do with it. Uh, one of the things that I think I, I well, Patrick, I'll say I, none of these three books would have co probably come out and they certainly wouldn't have been the quality that they were without you. But one of the things that you, using Patrick and go to askabookeditor.com if you want to find Patrick, you can also find a link in the show notes. And by the way, I should probably mention in the 24th minute that today's episode of Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. I'm only uh, 22 minutes late on that one. I'm doing a great job. I was just excited to hear from you, Patrick. Oh, but you. back to the topic here, you saved me a lot of frustration. At one point, one of the memorable things I remember, though, was also there's a great editor does more. And we'll talk in a few about the different types of editors. But you're a little more than an editor because you gave me confidence in some places where I needed it. And you told me in certain cases, I remember when I interviewed and I'm like, I need someone that's going to tell me if it sucks. Right. Like, are you, are you going to be afraid to tell me that it's dog shit? Because if you are, then you're not the right person for this. And, you know, but the, the hours of frustration, I remember in the first title, I was trying to take my voice out of it. And you, you literally kind of smacked me around virtually. You're like, dude, your voice is in this writing. There are writers that try forever to yeah. get their, find their quote voice. And you're trying to get rid of it. Stop doing that. And that was that because I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I wasn't, I have never really considered myself to be a writer mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, but how are some other ways that you save people, your, save your clients huge? Like what are the frustrating things that you, consistently help people get over well the voice is definitely a huge thing it's when people are like i'm going to be a writer so now i have to get like in fancy writer mode and um and that's when suddenly like their vocabulary is like i'm like no like no one like how you read should be how you talk i mean you don't need all the you know the uh um, you know it's not full-on conversational it is it is you know a little magic done that to make it smooth um but you definitely don't have to like sound super pretentious or just not like yourself that's like a red flag um the other thing is really just to like a lot of times people especially with when whenever it has like the prescriptive part of it which means you know they're they're being an expert is they don't feel like they're qualified and then they like kind of they don't like you need to if you don't come out of the gate and just own your expertise and own your advice and it's freely like you're not giving medical advice you're not like 
you know, there's no harm that's going to be done. You just really have to be authentic. And it's like almost like thinking of it as like you're in a debate club. Like you have to win me over to like, you know, to trust you and that you know what you're talking about. So if you start trying to overqualify everything or be like, like what I said is kind of true because here's 800 studies and stuff. He's like, no, no one. I mean, there's an audience. I mean, that's an academic book. That's different. But you, you just need, you need, you're building trust with the reader. Um, so you have to kind of first build trust with your own voice and your own confidence that you have something to say. And knowing that your editor, like when you, when you do go off track a little bit or meanders, like they will save you. They will be like, you know, no, we don't, we don't need this part or let's move it here. Or we could just kind of collapse some of this stuff to make it make more sense. Um, uh, did you, did you find, I don't know, if, it was really like the first thing with, with like, um, sometimes people have a tough time writing and, and talking it out sometimes works. Um, you know, some, some, some writers can just sit down and do the keyboard and other people, it, it, it can help to use like transcription type things, but you just have to know book, that. Book like, one, yes. Book two, no. And yeah. book three, same. But I had to learn, like you helped me get past that. Like, yeah, like I said, I think that's you, when you, you licensed me to use my own voice and the feedback that I get from. So, and then there was a different dynamic because book three was co-authored. And right. that was once again, back to that. Uh, so how do we do this? Who's talking in the book? And mm -hmm. you, you said, no, you need a universal voice here. Yep. Yep. Let, let the reader figure that out. Imagine whomever. And uh, I probably the greatest there the the common point that I heard the most other than your book holds my coffee table up really well is people saying that they heard my voice in it. And that was what made it what they often referred to as a quick read. Yep. Which quick is what you want. Is what you want is yeah. the best the the best yes. compliment you can get i mean i yeah. what i worked on personally i i mean people have different types of taste but what what i'm drawn toward and what i think a lot of commercial readers are drawn toward is this little bit of sense of intimacy you know like there is it has this sense that you're you're just having a talk with your friend or you're like your best friend that tells yep. you the truth yep. um so i loved i mean to me nothing made me happier than doing a book or a memoir, whether it was Tories or whoever's, um, where someone would say, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, it wasn't like it was short, but it didn't, it wasn't like a 900 page book, but some, anyone that would say, I read this book, I couldn't put it down. And I read it from a cross country trip and one session. And to me that like, that is the highest compliment because you, you made this connection. It, it was making writing look effortless and making your voice sound effortless. Um, is one of the biggest gifts you could do. I mean, anyone can make something seem overly complicated and stuff. That's that to me. That's not skill. That's just verbiage, you know. And uh, but yeah, it is. It is having that sort of one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I love I love books that um, it's really more about. It's either like it's I, and when it's two authors as much as possible it is a sort of collective we but you never forget that you're talking to you the reader you know and that's to me that's it's the difference i, I would say it's if you're doing the, some types of books it's the difference between teaching someone or sharing something with someone 
what's more interesting someone sharing it to you you know like because you're sharing a story it's like, like, like knowledge transfer from a village elder compared to like here's a textbook that's yeah. like no brain and blah and it's yeah it's and and don't be afraid to to tell it like it is yeah yeah i always remember you uh, might not be an exact quote got to keep it moving got to keep it moving <laughs> it's slowing down here we got to keep it moving so Sounds right. and i get that as someone with uh, a raging case of ADHD, I appreciated that because if you bore me, I'm out. Yep. I'm out. If it if it begins to lag, and you were really emphatic about that, because you know, and balance me. Mm-hmm. That has so many, and that's about you know finding balance within your personal, professional, and physical life. Right. You taught me as well to do certain things. Like we disarm to the reader immediately. Well, first off, if you don't think you're part of your own, your if you're not your own biggest problem put the book down because you're not going to like it yeah and then also was you're going to find parts of this book to be spot on about you and some might not be skip those parts yep so and it's amazing how you give a reader a license to do that and then they'll actually do it if not they'll might get stuck in a part that's not applicable to them and then they're bored and then they move on what, so. one, one thing i say i don't know if i tortured you with the whole uh, punch up the ending you, you, know? you probably did I'm sure i did and especially like the end of a section or the end of a chapter oh, punch it up and make and make it transition into the next one make yes, it transition to the next yeah. or it's just it's sometimes writing is about a beat you know it's a rhythm and it's ending on the right note, whether that's leading into something or it's like adding some kind of insight or something interesting. I always say like, don't make it too easy. Don't make it easy for someone to stick a bookmark in it, you know, where it's just like, and this part is done. <sighs> you know, an so example, like, example could be something like, well, and that was a wild ride to get to, that we just described. The crazy thing is it got even wilder. Exactly. And that's like how you would end that's how we would end a chapter. And that would make me at least want to turn that page to be like, what the hell are they talking about? Some of it It doesn't have to be a full suspense thriller, but it is there is just that something, something that's basically like you need to keep reading because there's more and it's interesting. Okay, next. Yes. Do you have to be a great writer to write a great book? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to answer. I'm going to answer first. That no. was a dual question. No, you don't. Yeah. You need a great editor. Yeah. You need a great editor. Like it's it's the it's the key. It's it, the key. But you, you can't edit write a book. really good book. You know, that's the, some people are like, this isn't great. This is going to be one for the canon. You know, um, but if it's a really good book where you're delivering what you've promised the reader is going to get something out of it, then, then yeah, it's, yeah. Every book, even like the best writers in the world, like they all, I mean, they, they all need an editor. They all need a reader. I mean, an editor is kind of like the ideal reader or the first reader or the reader that's allowed to kind of like cross out stuff, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, everyone, there are different degrees of, of skills and needs. And sometimes people need, a word by word kind of help and other times they just need like bigger picture stuff which can make all like it's like with you like finding your voice like it's things like that that just unlock something you know um so it you don't have to be a great writer you have to be a hard worker and you have to like realize that this is a commitment 
and um, it's not going to just automatically write itself. And, you know, it's not always fun, but it is worth it. And you will find joy and excitement along the way. And there's nothing better than when it's all done reading your work and being like, damn, I wrote this. I was, I was like, about to say the best part about writing a book is finishing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, and I can't relate because I'm not female, but I would imagine it's similar to getting that baby out after nine months. <laughs> You're like, get out. Like, I, <laughs> do something different. And, and the reason you need a, a, a an editor that, well, you need multiple. I want to talk about that in a second because mm -hmm. that's something I didn't realize. But you get so close to these projects that you can you are not objective, right? And that includes you sometimes as an editor. And we talked about that because you you warned me about that up front. You said, "Look, I think a lot of people think that you get an editor and you got it all, but we're going to get so close to this, we're going to need." a couple different types of editors. Let's talk about that for a second, because I don't think most people even realize that there are different types of editors. So there are different types of editors, which we can talk about, but there's also, it depends if you are preparing something that you want to then, you know, send out to publish, you know, to a traditional publisher, but especially if you're planning to see this through publication, then there's definitely other people that need to come in, at, you know, at different steps along the way. Um, so you mean like, like copy editors that we've been talking about or, or yeah, 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 developmental? Yeah. okay. Um, so I mean, yeah, all of it, I mean, that, okay. that's the thing is there's different, there's different shades here. And, yeah, and, totally. And, and you, you were able to cover a few of them. And then there was a few, you said, you told me, you said, uh, and I'll let you describe what a copy editor does. You said, Matt, if you want this book to feel polished, then this is what we need. And that was a high, that was a high thing on my list. And then the same thing with developmental though, because I, yeah. I think that, that uh, I, a lot I've given confusion. advice to a few, few people. I said, get an editor early because that developmental side of it can shape the way the whole creative and just the whole production line, the way it's laid out and the way you approach it. There's a lot of, to make it more confusing as there's a lot of semantics and not, <laughs> and not, you know, form descriptions of some of this stuff. So, you know, I, I sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I, I know what you're saying, but if this is brand new to you, like, I'll give you a quick little primer. Uh, basically, they boil it down to two, two or three types of like editing things or editing types of assignments. One is, I'll talk about content editing, or sometimes you'll call it line editing. And that is literally like the editor that reads, I mean, they'll always be reading, but are looking at it word for word for word, um, you know, finding things like, oh, you're, you know, your dog was a boy in the beginning and suddenly he's a female dog on this other page. You know, like they're, they're finding the discrepancies, but they're also like literally fine tuning your words and helping you, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the nitty gritty. Um, and then the way, that's the worst job in the world. It kind of is. I, even though, I, like, it's I mean, I determined after seeing that and watching you, you'll get the two editors will then debate. Oh, God. Uh, just to make sure they talk it out. And, and I remember I completely excluded myself from I was like, hey, let me know what y'all come up with, because this is not my thing. You're like I'm. I'm leaving the playground for now. You got. You guys fight it out. For, for like, I will be. I'll be at five playgrounds over. Because, but that. But that's the. But that proves the point. 
my book would have been freaking terrible if I didn't have different editors in there. There's just so many, there are so many people that are trained to do that. And people that actually have the attention span and focus to right. be that absorbed in what you, in what you've created. Yeah, that's because that's all right. So kind of looping back a developmental editor and the way I work to make it more confusing is I often lump I'm kind of, I'm sort of all in. Um, but anyway, developmental editor looks at the big picture. And it's kind of like, you know, is this a marketable idea? Are you explaining it the right way? Um, is is your voice right? Is the format right? Uh, how is it organized? Like they're they're looking at it. They're a little more macro, um, but it's important because sometimes sometimes books need like an overhaul at that stage. Um, other times they can kind of work that. They're keeping all that in mind, but it's not so like sometimes a development edit is like, okay, you you've gone on a different path, go back. Like there's no point to start doing the the line edit or the content edit or whatever um, until you fix these big things, because otherwise you're gonna do it all over again and it doesn't make sense. Um, so there's that. I kind of the beauty of my thing in general is sometimes you definitely need to do just that. Um, Sometimes the people wait, they say like an editorial assessment that's kind of using more of the developmental editors, Pat, they're looking at your book and they're kind of saying like in bigger pictures, what's working, what's not working, you know, what could be tightened, but they're not really looking at it on a line by line kind of basis. Um, I definitely usually come in where I think that there's something there because if you're just creating it out of absolute air, it's a nightmare. But, um, but in general, that, that, you know, there is something there, you're making it the best it can be. Um, and then seeing it through really that it's that your big picture stuff is then applied into the little details. Now what a copy editor does, um, and there is overlap as well Is the copy editor is like the super, super anal retentive. I mean, editors are anal retentive, but the copy editor is the ones that no. they're, the, <laughs> they're the grammar police. Like, I mean, God bless them. Like, I always say, and I'm sure I told you and stuff is like, look, I picked up I understand like publishing also has like they follow Chicago manual of style. So there's things that just seem like arbitrary, but I'm like, no, this is how we do, you know, how we format, whatever, how this is how you do a percentage. This is how you do a title versus is it italicized or is it underlined or it's in bold and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. So I can weigh in on that, but they definitely like are super trained in that stuff. They're like the, the equivalent of like the librarian of the process, you know? And, um, so they look in there and they understand grammar inside and out. I've got a pretty good knowledge of it and I fix a lot of it. But in the end, I will always say, you know, they will find something that, that you and I haven't found because that's what they specialize in. Um, and they're great. And like you said, also, they're a fresh eye because we might have seen something so many times that we've gotten blind to, <laughs> to something, whether it's an error, a typo, or just something like, we like redid some sections so many times that there's like the sentence that just like stops or something, you know, that, that we just missed. So they are, you will hate your book. Them. You will hate your own book before it comes out. It's true. It's, I feel that I, that's a natural part. And I think it's probably not ready until you hate it at yeah. some point. Yeah. Like, and, and that, that I see that with startup founders a lot that when are we going to do our first release? Some of the richest, most successful people in the history of startups say, if you don't look back at your first release with absolute terror, then you hung on to it for too long. Now, books are a little different. 
uh, one thing for those of you that are writing books or getting into that, it's really easy to change things mm -hmm. later. Like mm -hmm. you don't print, they don't print a semi truck load of them when you're doing an indie publisher. Like I could literally make an edit to the ebook on any of these things or actually the printed version. And within, it would take Amazon maybe 24 hours to process those changes. And then every book they would make going forward, they would change. Now I say that it, to inspire confidence in some people, meaning the in the past, it would have been written in stone. You do have the ability to make some subtle changes. Now that doesn't mean that you should avoid, that you should, be sloppy and do different stuff. But I think so many people think that, all right, so as when a musician puts out an album, they don't go back and update the song later. That's part of the advantage of modern publishing is your ability to change and modify some things that shouldn't be your form of editing. But if you're completely freaked out about publishing it, because it will forever be written in stone. I mean, if it makes you feel better, it's not. See? That's related to that because I know you're you're an expert in many ways of this this particular type of subject. Um, I 100% agree with that, and part of it is like there is a point where you have to let it go. I mean, get it proofread, right. get it copy edited, and everything. But you know, you've told your tale. You don't need to tell it in some sort of different way. Um, and yes, you can always, you know, upload a new file. Um, do you know? Maybe this is getting too too technical here, but about when, when publishers do that, they often do it, well, they, they actually can make changes and, and then there's different editions, but I believe usually the the ebook or print on demand is always kind of like a first edition in a way, you know? So if you do make super changes, have you had Kindle and Amazon change their stuff all the time? But I'm curious, I thought I heard somewhere that they said that they, it might, um, like, does it affect your rankings? Like, is it like a new, new book, you know? I haven't had any experience with that, but I don't spend a whole lot of time in there. And I actually haven't changed any of the copy in any yeah. books. So um, it could, uh, as far as the actual rankings go, I doubt it, but it could change some forms of history. I, I'm not sure. That's a good question. Yeah, because um, it's when you publish it, it's sort of seen as like, I, mean, I think that to get around that, I mean, you can make changes and I wouldn't, there's really no reason. I mean, even if it, change something you would want it to be corrected anyway but um but i would think that the flip side is that is that even though you're super excited it's so close like don't rush it because it's best to just attempt to get a couple of different eyes the proofreader and stuff so when you hit publish something will be found at some point and honestly traditional publishers i mean i could read books from simon schuster or random house and i'll still occasionally be like oh here's a typo because it's human human beings are still working on these books so they make make mistakes and it's not the, you gotta end hit of the, the world. who cares but yeah, at some point so yeah like if you're if you're striving for perfection you're never going to find it which was part of the point i'll give you an example so in the in the realist guide to successful music career that i wrote with joel cummins we talked a couple weeks ago and had a legit discussion as to whether or not we should add a chapter because the music industry and musicians have been so deeply impacted by all the COVID-19 coronavirus stuff. I mean, it's like a whole different world for musicians. Like, and so how do you get past it? And the whole purpose of the book was to create something useful for musicians going forward. So like, what do they do? You know, how do you handle that? And I mean, that's something that we said, maybe, 
uh, started sitting back and saying, well, how much work would that uh, take? And then the main problem was, is, is in a situation as fluid as some of that is, okay, yesterday, Kansas had social distancing rules. Today, they've removed all of them. Right. So how do you write something that is relevant and not, you know, with, with that particular title, we wanted to, as we looked at the marketability and everything else involved before we wrote it, we said, how, what's the shelf life of this? How long is this book going to be relevant before it's obsolete? And it actually had a fairly long shelf life compared to other stuff. Um, but yeah, we kind of, kind of paused at the point where we said, uh, do you have all the answers? No, I don't either. So, okay, well, that'd be kind of hard to be an authority on the topic. But you could also use that as like a marketing angle. Like it's not new in the book, but it is something that as the authors, the experts of that topic, if, if, it, if it, there was a reason or a publicity thing or something that could come up, then you could use that as the topical discussion um, and that plugs the book, but isn't necessarily, anytime you try to be crazy timely in the book, it will become crazy dated soon, you know? So it's. Yeah. And I agree. That's, that's something we strive for on the podcast too, is, uh, I, it's easy to say, Oh, well, we're recording this on a Thursday and then it comes out on a Tuesday and it just doesn't, and it doesn't, what facts, what things, what kind of stuff are relevant and matter. Um, you know, there's, I don't know, so much, so many things change. The best thing they call perennials. If if you're a a perennial book, that's like the bread and butter of publishing too. It's a book that things don't change too much and it becomes the go-to for that. I mean, it's not the best example in the world, but my God, that like all the places you can go. I mean, how many, I think people, your great, great, great grandkids will get that for graduation. You know, it's like, um, you know, the Dr. Zeus thing. Um, ah, ah. Yeah, that book. But yeah, but any, but any but types of thing is, is if you stay with your own experience or like the human experience in that sense, then, then you found kind of uh, a, something more timeless that people can come back to. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to sound negative or like a hater, but the chances that your book is going to become like what Patrick just mentioned are almost none. Um, it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't write one. I, for me, that was something I always wanted to do. So I apparently did three of them. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me a lot of interesting questions. I'm sure you get this way, way, way more than I do. But I think one of the things that I've run into more than anything else is people want to tell me about a book that they want to write, Mm -hmm. that they've been thinking of, that blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, how far are you in it? Well, I haven't started yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, how long have you been sitting on this? 12 years? What do you think I need to do to get started? I think you need to go home and write something. 100%. 100%. Like anything. Like anything. So it, what advice do you give for people that have wanted to write a book and have yet to either do it or succeed or it, whatever? It's that button chair time. You know, you have to just sit and do it because the sad thing is if you have a really great idea and let's say it is a great idea, but you sit on it for years, then when you're going to finally get around to doing it, it's not going to be so great because that idea, I, I do think of, of thoughts and inspiration as kind of like they visit you, they hang out, they get you excited. And at a certain point, if you're just talking about it, it just it just goes away. You know, it, it, it is it is there. Um, so I, I often would give the advice that it's better to work on. I mean, if you have like one or two trusted people you want to talk to something about. But if, you're, if this is your like 
constant, you know, banter with everyone with this great idea that you have, but you're not doing it, you're never going to do it because talking about it is six million times easier than working on it. Um, but if you sit down and start working on it, then I think you're going to find out, like, be realistic. Like, don't think that it's going to just come, you know, like, like we talked about before, like, just like flowing out and amazing. But if you're there and you see that there, that this is a good idea and you're working on it, then, then you're proving it. And, um, and you can excitedly tell everybody about it much further along the process, especially if you can be like, and you can buy this book. Um, but yeah, I'll talk. It, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. And, and people just basically tune that out and you don't get that same, you know, whether the book is great or not, if you've seen it through, then you get some serious respect uh, for that. So that's what I would encourage. Once again with us today, Patrick Price, the founder and president of askabookeditor.com, a guy who has written a lot of books with a lot of fun and interesting people. Uh, we usually end episodes with what we call the founder's freestyle, but I'd, I'd instead like to hear a story that you might have, something fun or interesting or whatever about one of your past experiences with an editor or a book. Uh, and, and maybe I can maybe I can bait you. Maybe I can bait you because, well, let's talk about the one that was the most well known. Uh, okay, he's just not that into you. Didn't you say that that had been rejected a bunch? Okay, yes, that had been rejected probably a dozen, at least a dozen times by you know, the, the publishers. Um, it came to me. It was actually a little more of like a joke book in a sense. I mean, it was. It, it was less of a of an advice book and more of just like a one kind of joke. And yes, it does still have one sort of thought and stuff, but I read this and, and I love the humor. I love the voice. I like the whole concept. I knew about, you know, where it kind of originated from the Sex and the City episode. And as an editor, I, I didn't judge it on just what was there. I judged it on what it could be. And that's sort of where the developmental editor kind of popped in, I guess. And I said, you know what? This is bigger. But this isn't a joke book. This is actually a manual. And um, and yes, it's repetitive, but it's repetitive because we need to repeat this to beat it into your head so you actually will accept it. Um, and got incredibly excited, bought it. Um, you'd be shocked for its success. For I mean, it was a perfectly lovely deal, but after, you know, 58 weeks and bestseller list and nine at number one and 40, I don't know what it was, uh, various foreign publishers. $178 million at the box office when yeah. it became a movie later. Yeah. I think the last time I checked, it had, well, it, right. had, it was close to 3 million copies sold. And there are not that many books right. from a little bit ago that, that, so whether it's the movie or the book or both, but people, it's kind of, it's fun to be part of something that everybody's like, oh, I get it. Like, I don't read much, but I have heard of Da Vinci Code. You know, it's like things like, things like that is, uh, is cool. But what other, what other random story, which I'm sure the book might have done a little differently. Well, I, I think the thing that was important there is, look, this is a book that became a franchise yep. and it had been rejected. Like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. How often do we hear this story on Startup Hustle talking to founders that were pitching their idea, trying to get it funded, 
how many no's do you have to get through to hear a yes or find someone in Patrick's case is it's a, I love this concept. We, we have something here. It's not where it needs to be, but I have some belief that this can be something big. And if that had, if the author or any of this had said, you know what, after 10 no's, I'm out. How different would that person's life be? So I think oh, yeah. the question comes down is just, and and I don't think we need another story. I think that that one was perfect. <laughs> that because, because think about that. I mean, 178 million bucks at the box office, huge sales. Like it's very well known. Everyone's heard of the book and the movie yep. or one of them or both. And that's what you're trying to do. So you never know. You just If you have belief in it, if that person had given up and then they also, uh, the writer, I'm assuming, because there, there were some changes that were made too. Wasn't it written from one perspective and it's two perspectives yeah there's a female that kind of weighs in but the main it's i mean there's co-writers liz tachillo and um greg barrett but the novelty of it of course is that it was sort of written from like a big brother point of view that was you know trying to like steer you in the right way and then liz would bring in the the truthful sort of like the women's perspective but um but yeah but it's i think it's also a case of knowing your audience and if someone's like, oh, that's too mean or whatever, it's like, no, this is a reality that that people are going through and that it does connect and they can they want there's a need and it's providing an answer. It's also providing entertainment, which is I think it's also nice to often have woven into books. Don't be scared of a little bit of a sense of humor. Your editor will tell you if your joke bombs you know or goes too far but but overall it's just adding it's not taking yourself too seriously but yeah it's he's not that. he's not saying that based on his experience with me not at all well once again with us today patrick price ceo founder president the guy at askabookeditor.com if you want to write a book you need to consult with patrick he's he's amazing um, I say that not only from my own experience, my co-author Joel Cummins in the last book had a great time working with Patrick. He's not afraid to tell you what's up. And sometimes that's what we need. I think I want to close out by saying, if you want to write a book, you need to just sit down and start doing it. Uh, one of the things that I learned from book one to two to three was to, you need to just try to get as much of it out of you as possible. The more time you spend looking in the rearview mirror, the less time you have to see what's coming down the road and what's ahead of you. It makes for sloppy copy the first time through. But if you have editors in that process and you get all that, well, then you clean it up. So Patrick will hate me for saying this, but sometimes you just send your editor an apology note with your first draft. Uh, but it, it, it's like I, it's like we were saying with the person that hadn't written a book for 12 years. Uh, Nike says it best. Just do it. Sit down. Like the worst case scenario is no one will ever see it and you throw it away. So speaking of which, I think I'm going to throw away the copy of my fourth book. So I got to get moving. But thanks for joining us today, Patrick. My pleasure. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.